0: stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge.
1: Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's Stock Strategist, David Boren, but he's not here to talk about the marijuana stocks. I know, too bad, right? Instead, we're going to talk about Robinhood and specifically the stock, should you be buying it? Should you be diving in there? I saw that the shares are hitting new highs again since the IPO, so someone is diving in and buying them again. But should you be, what are your alternatives if you don't wanna get into it? Um, Are there other good investments in this area, in the brokers? Uh, Welcome, Dave, because we're gonna talk about all this good stuff.
0: Great, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So what is going on with robin hood it finally did go ipo um i kind of glanced at you know the documents they put out about the business but it was it was not my cup of tea let's just put it that way as an investment um because i like to buy stocks on really really good solid fundamentals and it i felt like robin hood just didn't have it but um, that's why I wanted to have you on because I know you're more familiar with what's going on.
0: Uh, well, you're right. The S1 I thought was a complete disaster. Uh, it revealed a couple things about the business uh, that are that scared me. Uh, the first was that although they had grown revenue really significantly in 2020, uh, they were getting over 75% of revenue from payment for order flow uh, from one one source and 43% of total revenue. Total revenue came from one specific firm that they were selling orders to Citadel Uh, so that means that they are uh, completely non diversified in their stream of revenue. It seems as though because they have a lot of monthly active users, they have a diverse revenue stream, but because those users aren't paying the bills, uh, the users are actually supply essentially uh, and the real customers are the payment for order flow payers they're really not diversified at all. It, it, it's it's mu- a much different picture than you would imagine based on their huge user growth.
1: Right. Yeah, because that's what everybody always kept um, harping on was what did they have now, 18 million, I think?
0: That, that was the most recent number was 18, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that sounds like a big number. And that, you know, hey, I might want to own that, especially if it's all or uh, the vast majority is, you know, millennial investors or Gen Zs you're getting like this new investor class.
0: Sure. Uh, And I have some theories about that too, which I'm sure we're going to get to. But for for me, the biggest thing in the the S1 was the payment for order flow. And then additionally, they disclosed a lot of fines and they even disclosed fines that they were expecting to pay into the future. Uh, Now, this would generally be a huge red flag when a company says, we're we're expecting this fine to come. Uh, (laughs) And somehow, people just didn't hate it as much as they ought to have. Uh, and I believe it's just because they're just not reading that S1 correctly, they weren't reading correctly. Yeah.
1: So let's get back to the payment for order flow though, because I think people don't know what that even is. So could you describe what that is? What How is it that they make money off of that?
0: Sure, so uh, in general, payment for order flow is a process by which a brokerage that represents a client gets paid to give that client's order to a specific market maker rather than expose it to the market as a whole. Uh, And so if that's, for anyone that's not familiar with the practice, if that sounds like a kickback or a bribe to you, it definitely 100% is. Uh, (laughs) It's it's been around for uh, over 30 years. When I first heard about it, I, I started in the industry in 1994, I worked for a retail brokerage, and I was unaware of any sort of payment for order flow agreements they had. I don't believe they had any, Uh, if they did it was in the the trading side where i was and i was on the retail side uh i started in the options business three years later in 1997 and that was where i first heard about people paying for orders and i literally couldn't believe my ears you could just pay someone to give you an order uh instead of executing against the market it it seemed preposterous and yet everyone just seemed to be reserved to the fact that it existed uh now i traded in markets where that was completely illegal at some points uh in the futures markets in chicago Paying for order flow was something that would put you in jail telling a broker hey if you give me that order i'll give you something back was literally a felony uh but in somehow in the sec regulated equity markets uh it continued to be a practice and in the options markets continued to be a practice up till today uh and it's what built Robinhood. yeah um if you don't mind me going on a little longer uh, i'd like yeah, to give cool. you a tiny bit of history about payment for order flow yeah, uh, yeah. in about 1990, there was a, uh, a large market-making firm in New York that pioneered the practice. Uh, I don't know for sure that they invented it, but they certainly brought it to the masses uh, and it became a, a very, very successful market-making firm. Uh, in about that same time, the SEC pressured the NASD, uh, which has now become FINRA, uh, to study the issue of payment-for-order flow because it seems so shady. Uh, the CEO of the brokerage firm that pioneered it uh, was also the chairman of NASDAQ, which is the stock exchange portion of the National Association of Securities Dealers. Uh, and so the NASD committee that was studying it eventually chose to approve it in 1991. Uh, and it's been the law of the land ever since. The punchline of that story is that firm was Madoff and, and the chairman was Bernie Madoff. He was the person that brought payment through order flow to the world. Wow. Uh, so if, if you think you didn't like it before, how much do you like it now?
1: right yeah that sends up a red flag right there right let's start with the business side because they they have brought in a lot of new investors and that's kind of the lure that um you know a lot of people are banking on for for the ipo
0: my opinion is that they brought in those investors by turning trading securities into essentially a video game on your phone uh, at one point, they would even, to, to sort of uh, enhance this gambling aspect that you've won something, throw confetti on your screen when you made a trade. Uh, yeah. Now, you haven't made any money on the trade yet. They didn't throw confetti when you were closing a trade at a profit. They threw confetti when you traded. The object was to get you to trade as much as possible. Because, of course, because of this payment for order flow aspect, that they only make money when people trade. If they have a, a bunch of accounts just sitting there, they don't make anything on the interest rate spread like most brokerages do. Uh, they make money on selling your orders. So if there's no orders, there's no money for them. And their incentive was to get you to trade as much as possible, which I don't think is a good idea.
1: I know there there's been some talk of them adding like IRA accounts and things like that to the app, but I don't think they've done that yet. Um, and from your description here, it sounds like, they wouldn't want to do that because there's Uh, not that much trading usually in most people's IRA accounts.
0: Exactly. If you put in money every two weeks or every month uh, and it just goes to one ETF or one mutual fund or something the way that an IRA or tax advantage fund should, they make nothing on it. So they have no incentive to do that. And frankly, if if I was talking to a, a young person who had never traded and was asking me, how do I get into the financial markets? My absolute first advice would be, if your employer offers a 401k, get in it. If they don't, open an IRA, open a tax advantage fund, and do something a little bit periodically. Whatever you can afford to do periodically, because you'll forget about that money, and put it in something broad market. So what what Robinhood is encouraging with this frantic day trading of people that don't have a tax advantage account yet is really, I believe, irresponsible. So bringing those people to the market because a lot of people are now trading uh, is not necessarily a good thing for for the, for the customers, them, the users themselves, not for the markets. I'm not worried about the markets, they'll be fine. Right. Uh, I just don't think it's gonna have a good effect on those users who think they're participating in the market but are doing it in a really dangerous and inefficient way.
1: Is there anything else in the business that you wanted to cover or?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> first, uh, in Robinhood accounts, uh, in the most recent numbers, about 3% of the assets that they held were in options. Uh, And yet options trading made up 46% of the revenue. Uh, And the reason is that options market makers, the spreads are a lot wider than in stocks, and therefore they will pay a lot more for those orders. Uh, So if options trading dries up, uh, they're going to have a big revenue problem, right? Almost half their revenue comes from that. Yeah. Even more importantly, uh, I believe that trading options from your phone is also completely irresponsible encouraging someone to trade an option from their phone other than possibly to close a trade uh when you have to and, and you have no other choice uh, i was a professional options trader for a long time and the amount of information that i'm looking at before i make any trade open or close uh would never fit on a phone there's no way that you can possibly uh, actively monitor the options markets from a your smartphone Okay. Uh, and i saw that behavior I can't pin this exactly on Robinhood because it's probably a lot of other brokerages too uh, but it has sort of it, I'm guessing a lot of it was Robinhood during the GameStop run up uh, there were some very inefficient things happening in the options market that I sitting in my on my retail screens uh, with not without a professional setup found it very easy to take advantage of because they wanted to buy the cheapest call on the board and that's the highest strike call And so if you just look at your phone and buy the cheapest call on the board, I'm going to get a little wonky here. Sorry, people that like options (laughs) might like it. If you just want to buy the cheapest call on the board and you're willing to pay anything for it, a person like me can sell you that call and then buy a much lower strike call for almost the same price and have uh, a massive profit potential uh, and almost no potential and no risk at all or very, very little risk at your expense because you paid too much for that call. So if you're not looking at all the options, if you're only looking at the few that you can see on your phone and you want the cheapest one, you are just handing money to the professionals. Wow,
1: all right. So are those the main things then that you don't like about the business? <laughs> That's
0: a, <lot> <laughs> uh, a little bit about the, the business itself. Uh, and I, I, I would like to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about the, the nature of the name even. So I, I believe that the name has been part of their success. Uh, yeah. it, it gives people who don't have a lot of money this sense that they are going to steal from the rich and give to the poor, presumably themselves. Right. Uh, but that's not what the real Robin Hood myth was. The real Robin Hood myth, which is, I don't know, eight or 900 years old, was that he was stealing from corrupt public officials. It wasn't right. just the rich. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make any sense for poor people to just steal from rich people. If your neighbor has a nicer car than you, you can't just go over there and take it from him on the Robin Hood principle. Yeah. Uh, So they are sort of implying that the people that are involved in the financial markets now are corrupt in a way that I don't believe is is true. It's a it's a false narrative. Uh, And it gives people this idea that they're going to it it makes people do inefficient trades because they think they're doing something uh, that has real meaning as opposed to just trading stocks.
1: What do you think about uh, them, you know, Democratizing investing because it was free. It was basically the first free trading app, and you don't you could invest with very little money.
0: Uh, well, when they went to free places like ETrade and Schwab and all the other discount brokers were charging a few bucks. Right. Uh, and so, in the context of real investing, the difference between a zero commission trade and a five dollar trade is really nothing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's completely inconsequential. If there was any other reason like better service, a better platform, better anything, you would gladly pay the $5 commission that was already pretty much the industry standard. As for democratizing finance, uh, I have an interesting story about that too. Okay. Uh, in their IPO, they reserved, I think they reserved a third of the shares for retail investors and the, about 25% of the shares ended up going to retail investors uh that's a lot higher a, t- a typical ipo has more like 10 percent going to retail investors and they're going those retail investors in the typical one are bigger higher net worth individuals getting large chunks so a, a, a lot of very small investors uh i think the average was like 40 shares a piece uh were buying the robin hood ipo okay now the two founders uh vlad Tenev and varu bat uh retained about six percent of the shares of Robinhood after the IPO. They sold a few shares into the market on the IPO. Uh, The rest went to other early investors. So they have 6% each, or 12% total. But they have different shares than everyone else. They have 2 thirds of the voting rights of Robinhood. So for someone to claim that they're democratizing finance while retaining 2 thirds of the voting rights and 12% of the cash value of the shares, I think is preposterous.
1: Um, That's something definitely investors should keep in mind. the same kind of thing happened with Facebook and you know what uh, and Alphabet too with the different types of bo- voting shares and things like that so
0: sure I know uh, that that exists and I, th- I believe Alphabet pioneered it because they did that the, the Google split just to do that right uh, to bifurcate the voting rights uh and of course Zuckerberg would do that too because that's how he is and these guys just yeah. copycatted him uh yeah. but none of neither neither the Facebook founders or Zuckerberg claimed that they were democratizing anything. So for for me, it's just a a, a semantic argument that they can't say that uh, while while acting the way that they are.
1: Yeah. So where does the business go from here? Because they have, uh, you know, opened 18 million accounts, but I saw a stat that in June of this year was the slowest growth month, I guess, um, for the users on the app in like 18 months or something. So where where do they find even more, more people, I guess, wow. or more trades? I guess they need more trades, really.
0: Exactly. I, I don't know where the next group of customers is going to come from. And I, I can't say with any certainty, because I, I really just don't understand the demographics of who their customers would be. But it seems to me that they are probably plateauing on account growth, on the number of accounts growth. Yeah. Um, now, keep in mind also that those accounts are very, very small. Uh, yeah. There's a, a, a big difference between the average account at the regular discount brokers. Or the sort of professional style discount brokers like Interactive Brokers and the average account at Robinhood, um, yeah. and so a lot of those investors, if they lose the Robinhood users, if they lose a little bit of money, they may be out of the game. So they may not only they may not not only be able to grow, they may have to replace attrition in users.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's something to watch. I think um, people aren't really usually with the brokers. What you mostly care about is assets under um management but in this case there's these other factors that seem more important so that's something that they should watch so what do you think about it as a stock
0: well i mean if, if i hate the business i've got to hate the stock well, right. uh, <laughs> on, a, on a fundamental basis yeah. uh but even in, in terms of like i, I today it's probably way over 30 they're trading at a, a 30 times multiple of revenue um yeah. Or plus i i can't i can't possibly recommend that to anyone other than as a completely speculative play i I would recommend betting on a football game before i recommend buying a stock that's trading at 30 times sales
1: okay what of their competitors which are the ones that you would recommend because there has been a lot of consolidation in the industry like for instance i have an e-trade account and they were bought recently and e-trade you know a lot of people look at them as kind of the um, forerunner of what Robinhood was able to do because they came in into being in the 1990s during the dot-com boom, and they their whole thing, too, was to make investing easier for the average person, which I think they did. They've been around all this time, but now they've finally been absorbed by Morgan Stanley. And then TD Ameritrade was another popular platform for a lot of smaller investors, and Schwab just bought them up so and then you have interactive brokers also popular so i is there one of these that you like a lot or that is doing something in their business that gives them an edge maybe over the others
0: uh well so i i also am an e-trade user and i have been since 1996. Wow. Uh, and i i believe that e <laughs> E-Trade could legitimately make a claim to have democratized investing yeah. uh, because they brought it online. You Before there was E-Trade, I don't know, Schwab may have had an online thing at the same time, but E-Trade was the first one I can recall. And it E-Trade. meant that you didn't have to call a person on the phone to make a trade. You right. could go onto your screen, I was using a dial-up connection, it was terrible, but I was still <laughs> making, making my choices on the screen, clicking, yeah. yes, I confirm, I wanna send this, and then getting a trade confirmation. Yeah. Uh, so that's democratization and that was, Exactly. Before I got my trade account, that was exactly the job I was doing was I was the guy on the other end of the phone that people would call and make a trade with. And it was a terribly inefficient process. And the the least I could possibly charge someone in that job was $75. Like when my mother did a trade with me, I charged her $75. That was the lowest that we had our minimum commission. And most people paid considerably more. Our goal was to make as much commission as possible. So eTrade okay. came along at 25, 20 bucks or twenty five bucks, I can't remember. Maybe nineteen ninety nine.
1: Yeah, I think it was nineteen ninety nine. And it
0: was, and it was online. And yeah. I was like, "Well, this this is really a revolution. Robinhood is not changing anything in that kind of way." Uh, so I, I like eTrade a lot, and I, 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 again, I use it. Um, they are now part of Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley has about, I, I want to say, ten trillion dollars in assets under management, uh, and I know that E-Trade has about eight hundred billion of that. So compare that to Robinhood's measly 20 billion, big deal, 20 billion, okay. right? Uh, I do know the numbers on Schwab too, about 6.7 trillion total at Schwab in the whole family. And TD is about 1.3 trillion of that. So th- these are numbers that completely dwarf the uh, Robinhood model. Now that's also that's assets under management across a lot of things that are not retail brokerage, right? That's the entire firms. Right. Um, so for an apples to apples comparison, you mentioned interactive brokers. Oh. Uh, this this is one of my favorite stories. This is almost exactly the opposite story of Robin Hood, uh, because I happen to uh, know uh, the story very well of the man who founded it. his name's Thomas Thomas Uh He quit a job as a programmer for a I think it was a metals trading firm, some kind of trading firm and went and bought himself a seat uh, on the exchange and said, I can be a, I see how this works and I can be a market maker. And then he went about completely revolutionizing the way that options market makers worked. He was the first one to have uh, theoretical values for every options printed on sheets uh, instead of the traders basically guessing at the value. Uh, Everyone else picked that up. He was the first one to have electronic handheld computers on the floor that showed those values in real time as the underlyings moved and as the price of other options moved. Uh, And this is a personal story. When he brought those to the CBO, the Chicago Bower Options Exchange, uh traders were complaining about it and they said well it's not fair that you have that and he said well i'll just put up a screen over there and show you exactly what we're looking at you can look at it too if you want uh so this is really a man that believes in the democratization of the markets uh and and is willing to put his money behind it turned that market making account into a very successful brokerage account and currently offers and i I, it's going to sound like i'm plugging this but i have no no financial stake at all i don't own the shares i don't have an account there uh, i just like the idea offers a platform with a trader workstation that rivals what a professional would use. And you get it for free if you open up an iBroker account. Okay. So compare that, you know, sit, sitting in your home on a real computer with a professional looking screen instead of tools to poking something around on your phone and having confetti fly when you make a trade. Right. Uh, it's it's night and day.
1: Yes, I was, um, as you sat gushing, I was, thinking you were gonna say like, oh, I was an early investor or something like that. You were going No, not at, at all.
0: That. I did own the shares briefly. They were actually interactive. The, the Timber Hill, the brokerage firm that became Interactive Brokers was a competitor of mine when I was in the options market making business. And when they went public as Interactive Brokers, I bought the shares as a kind of, they did, they did so well. They ate our lunch so many times that I bought the shares myself as a, if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing. I can be right. a part owner of this company. Uh, and sold, sold them a few years later but so no i have no interest and i haven't for at least 15 years um but again i just as as a, a foil to how terrible robin hood is interactive brokers is that good
1: okay well that's the thing i feel like a lot of new investors are getting sucked into Robinhood because they use that app and then they think why not buy the stock kind of like you thought about interactive brokers you know they were crushing everything. So you're like, oh, I'm going to buy that, except, you know, I don't know. Sure. Some people do think like I should buy what I know and what I use. But in this case, it's may not be the best thing to be investing in, obviously.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm familiar with that idea. I hear it all the time, uh, especially from my friends who want to ask me for investment advice. uh, And I refer to it as the Peter Lynch fallacy. uh if you remember peter lynch was a fidelity manager and he pioneered uh, he popularized the idea of buy what you know uh which i think is terrible advice because a product that you like or a product that seems to be selling well may be just an atrocious company uh as far as being an investor Uh, the the financials may be awful even though they appear to be selling a a product successfully whereas some company that you've never heard of that lays gas lines in Oklahoma or something. Uh, couldn't, couldn't be more boring and that you're never going to be a customer of might be a really, really good investment. Um, yeah. So I try to shy people away from the, Hey, I bought this product that I like. I should, I buy the stock. Okay. It's, it's generally a bad idea.
1: Yeah. That's, that's some good advice for sure. And I think Peter Lynch has tried to clarify his strategy over the years because he has gotten a lot of criticism. And right. he's, he said that that's not the only reason you should be buying it, that, you know, maybe you get some investing ideas from Buy What You Know, but that you should always be doing the back-end research so that you are getting a, a good, solid company, you know, that there is, like, earnings and revenue growth, you know, and in, so you know the strategy of the company, like, things like that. And he would say, you know, you need to do steps beyond just, I, I shop at that store, so I'm going to buy it.
0: Sure. I'm pretty sure the Robinhood app does not include earnings and revenue growth and comparison to the competition in the industry uh, and analyst estimates. It just right. has a price that you can click. Yeah, right,
1: right. What do you think about like the trending list that they have on Robinhood? Does that only confirm to you further about like the gambling nature of it?
0: uh yes and and not only the so yes the gambling nature but also the uh crowd momentum nature of it which is always a disaster in any sort of trading or investing enterprise if you're doing it only because other people are doing it you're just playing greater fool uh but things cannot go up forever yeah someone has to keep buying it from you and at some point you run out of buyers and those bubbles explode
1: yeah Do you think the meme stocks are, um, you know, an indirect correlation to some extent with, you know, the the advent of the Robinhood type trader?
0: Boy, yeah, meme stocks. Uh, I hope we have a lot of time for this one. Uh, (laughs) I I don't have any problem with the meme stocks. And I even especially kind of like the idea of there being this community forum, primarily on Reddit, but other things, too, uh, where people can discuss their investments. Uh, and during the GameStop run up, I spent uh, more time than I would like to admit on that Reddit Wall Street Bets forum just watching what people were doing, okay. uh, what they were saying. And I saw a very wide variety of skills and information from people who seemed to be really pretty sophisticated about what they were saying about finance to people who were. Uh, just telling sob stories and uh, <laughs> cheering, cheering each other on and sending emojis, congratulating each other on your diamond hands and whatever. Right. Diamond hands is a terrible idea. Uh, I mean, it's a really fundamentally bad trading idea. If you have an a investment or any trade that is just appreciated, the idea that you would not sell any of it uh, is a a disaster. I would always, if if I buy something and it goes up a little and I don't even know why, I always sell at least a little yeah uh, and so selling the the idea that we're going to sell none and hold this till i don't know when i don't know what their end game was on that is really bad so the the, the forum idea is good uh the crowd momentum we're going to run this thing up um is, it just never works you can't do it
1: yeah well i feel like we've covered a lot of issues with with robin hood and ticker by the way is hood h-o-o-d don't confuse it with rh which is Restoration Hardware. Um, it's just hood, H-O-O-D. Um, and so, yeah, investors in the actual stock should know what they're buying here. And here's some tickers that we did talk about for some of the others. So Interactive Brokers, IBKR, Schwab is SCHW, Morgan Stanley is MS. Um, are those the main ones? I think they are, right? Those would I think be that's the everything, ones. everything, yep. Yeah. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, a couple of these have pulled back. Interactive Brokers is actually down 14% over the last three months. Schwab is down about 5%, but Morgan Stanley seems to be the one everybody's uh, rotating into because that one is up about 17% over the last three months. So take a look at some of the others and um, you know, buyer beware, I guess, is what our advice is.
0: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you said don't confuse it with RH, but frankly, if you bought Restoration Hardware by accident, you'd probably be doing yourself a favor. (laughs)
1: Right. I own RH, so I can't comment on that, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I just gave you all out the tickers, but I'll repeat them again. Hood is Robin Hood, H-O-D-I-B-K-R for Interactive Brokers, Schwab, S-C-H-W. Morgan Stanley is MS. And as always, you can get all of the Zach's Market Edge on SoundCloud. We're on Apple. We're on Amazon Music, Spotify, wherever you can get podcasts. But be sure to get us because I'll have some more stocks next week and you don't want to miss out. So be sure to subscribe and I'll see you again next time with some more stocks.
0: This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.